Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy Show and Tell. This is Tom, and as you all know, Show and Tell is the episode where we bring on a cool guest uh, to talk about something cool that they're working <laughs> on. And today's cool guest is Jerry Grayson. And the cool thing that we're going to be talking about is his latest Kickstarter, Terra Oblivion. Welcome, Jerry. Welcome. I, I, I thought I was a replacement guest since the cool guest couldn't get on. So. Oh. Uh, <laughs> There, are, there are, We would never have anybody who's not cool on the show, you know, <laughs> only the best. Okay, well, well anyway, uh, you've, got a, uh, you've got a Kickstarter going right now, uh, Terra Oblivion, so I'm mm-hmm. sure you're busy with that. But before we really get rolling and talking about it, uh, why don't you introduce yourself to our guest? Who is Jerry Grayson? Um, gosh, uh, I'm Jerry Grayson. I've uh, published games since... Gosh, around 2002. I'm an avid fan of like all sorts of media. I love uh, role-playing games, comic books, music, movies. Um, I just absorb everything and then regurgitate it out with stats applied to it. So yeah, everything behind you on that wall, I understand. <laughs> and, okay, uh, <laughs> and boom. So yeah, that is me. I'm basically just someone with the ego and the audacity to uh, decide that my ideas are relevant enough to actually put into a book someplace and then, you know, trick people into actually buying them. So that is what I do. Yeah. Uh, Jerry's got a, um, Jerry, what's your website real quick? Um, what's well, compare publishing, um, dot com. Okay. Yeah. Um, we're going to go to put all that stuff in the show notes, but I, I just want to point this out. Uh, a lot of listeners know I love comic books. So I mm-hmm. went to Jerry's website and, He's got a blog and there's comic book stuff about it. Absolutely. So, and then also I'm seeing all this stuff in your background. Like you've got, it looks like a, looks like you got a black lightning sketch back there. Yes. Uh, yep. We've got that from Trevor Von Eden. He uh, <laughs> did that for me. Um, no, that one. Yeah. That one's, uh, that one's really cool. He did that one. Um, I met him and, you know, obviously I fell in love with like, you know, black lightning. Um, so I went to the convention and, uh, you know, I brought my black lightning with me. Yes. And, uh, it's really weird because I guess like, I don't know if you go to conventions or, or not, but you yeah. know, you go to get stuff signed. Now they always ask if you want your actual name on it because people are just getting stuff signed and then putting it on eBay to sell it. But I'm like, no, you can, you can wreck this cover if you want, you, know? <laughs> you can put my name on it because it will, it won't go anywhere. It's, this is for me, this is important to me. Um, and both he and, you know, Tony Isabella, they signed it for me. And um, I have it hanging on the wall, actually. I don't know if. I need to see it. Uh-huh. If you all can't, Jerry's showing me his room right now. And it, there is just so much, co- like, yeah. comic book stuff just all around. It's fantastic. Like, I want to go hang out with no, you. That, yeah, that is, that is my, um, and that belongs to, I do these projects. And actually, if you went to the website, you can see my 1972 project. Yes. Which is basically... One day I had um, a whole bunch of comics that I inherited. I've got a ton of comics, but I, I'll inherit other people's collections because they know that I collect. So they will, you know, just give me all their comics. So I had a whole bunch of comics that I went and I traded at the comic shop. And for like a few long boxes, all I wanted was a full run of Commandy. That's all I wanted. And the guy was like, yep, I've got it. I'll give it to you for these boxes. And because they were no use to me because I'm the type of collector who collects and i don't collect just because i collect i collect because i enjoy it so if you look at my collection and there's lots of boxes and there's a lot of cool comics in there 
but most of them are comics that are special to me. <laughs> so, you know, people are like, wow, you're sitting on like, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I'm like, no, not really. Cause if you look through there, like this comic's probably still worth like, you know, a dollar 50, but I enjoyed that comic. Therefore I've, I've kept that comic. And there's other comics where, you know, they don't hold as much value to me, but 1972 was the year that I was born. So I went back and I collected as if I was a teenager in 1972 and collected a year's worth of comics, which was really hard to do to find comics from 1972. But, you know, if you, there's a lot of comics that actually came out in 1972 that are actually incredibly pivotal. You've got, you know, yeah. the first appearance of Luke Cage, uh, John Stewart. Um, gosh, so many different uh, things happened in 1972 in comic books. Yeah, that's like that. That's almost like that's like peak, like like Silver Age has been going for a few years now. So you've got some really good stuff right around there. Yeah, uh, Swamp Thing. Uh, so yeah. and they were really hard to find. And the the rule that I gave myself is that they didn't have to be all mint condition copies. They just had to be copies that I could buy at either a comic shop or at a convention. Um, okay. So that made it really hard because then you had to like search for these comics. So I had a list of comics from 1970. There was a few times that I cheated. There's a few that uh, you know, I had to go to Mile High Comics and get like, because it's almost impossible to find Warren comics at comic shops and at, uh, but you know, I needed some Vampirella. Uh, okay. I needed, you know, some of those. So they were really hard to find, but no, I'm a huge uh, comic fan. Um, well, I got to ask you then, who's your, I, it's so, I know it's so hard as a comic fan to say like, oh, this is my favorite hero, but do you have a favorite hero? Oh yeah, it's uh, Green Lantern. It's Hal Jordan Green Lantern. Uh, that is probably my favorite. Um, but then you go into different subgenres and different stuff. So if you say like, Jerry, what's your favorite, like, you know, one of your favorite comic books, it'd be Teen Titans, uh, the George Perez and Amar Wolfman, um, a legion of superheroes. I love them. Um, the good old Legion, Bouncing Boy, and all. Oh. Yeah, you know, like just just that craziness. I, um, gosh, there's so many. Like I could just go. I could just go on and on about comics. Go on for. I do love me some Green Lantern. I, so I'm in. I'm in. I'm a newer reader, but mm -hmm. I will say this. Like I absolutely love the Jeff Johns run of Green Lantern. I yep. tell people this is what you need to read. Yes, so. it's, that's a great jumping on point for people who don't know Green Lantern because with his yeah. rebirth, he. Because yeah, there. <laughs> Hal Jordan has been in the wilderness. That Green Lantern book has been in the wilderness for so long. It'll have great ups and downs. And for a second, I completely walked away from it just because um, like when, when he became Parallax back in the 90s, I was like, I'm done. <laughs> and then I walked None away of that for the longest stuff. time. <laughs> it, was, it, was, uh, it was me in the wilderness uh, talking to Burning Bushes and stuff for, uh, for quite some time before I came back for Green Lantern. Um, that's, the thing, that's the thing with comics. You got your ups and downs. You do. So, you do have a lot of ups and downs. So obviously huge comic book fan, but then RPGs. Mm. So take us all the way back. Where did um, where did Jerry first? What was the first? What was your first experience with well, RPGs, and how did you wind up where you are now? Well, first experience. Um, this was 1981 because I'm old, and uh, you know I'm playing with my friend Mike. We're outside. We're playing, but he has to go inside to uh, do something. I'm like, well, where are you going? He's like, oh, I got to go in and play, you know, Dungeons and Dragons. And I'm like, what's that? And uh, so he shows me Dungeons and Dragons. And I'm like, this looks awesome. Can I play? And so he goes and he asks his father. He's like, you know, 
And his father's like, no, you know, we don't have any room in the game, so you can't play. Sorry. So I'm, you know, a little bit crestfallen, go home. But then a week later, he's like, hey, my dad says we have room in the game. Do you want to come play? And I'm like, yes, I would like to come play. So we roll up a character. Um, and I can't remember what my character was. I think it was an elf. And we were playing Keeps on the Borderland because I remember they showed me the cover of that the module. And it just blew my mind because before that, you know, we, you know, you go out, you play with your toys, whatever, you read comic books, you do all your make-believe, but this was a codified way of actually playing make-believe. And what was cool about it and what blew my mind about it was that you had an active share of the story. You were an active participant. It just blew my mind. And all I remember about that is going down that river and Keeper of the Borderlands and I can't even remember fighting anything, but just the way it was presented to me, it just really blew my mind and it was so evocative. And then from there, you know, you'd play D&D uh, in secret because I wasn't allowed to like play D&D because Satan would uh, ruin my mind. Uh, yes, hate that guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's always in the mix. And then, um, so, you know, my first actual role-playing game that I actually owned was Star Frontier. Um, so that was the first one I actually owned. And, but, you know, on the download, we would still play D&D. Um, and then what really blew my mind, what really just kind of opened it for me was that my friend had a milk carton full of role-playing games that he had bought at a swap meet, realized he didn't particularly like and gave them to me. And it was the Call of Cthulhu, uh, the Stormbringer box set, the Call of Cthulhu box set, uh, what was it? Um, what was it? Uh, Danger Incorporated, I think, Dragon Raid, Aftermath, um, there were so many games in this box and it blew my mind to play these games because they yeah. weren't D and D. And it, it, it made me realize that there was so much more out there than just D and D because, you know, we'd open up the Stormbringer, and I'm like, okay, so how do you roll to hit? And you know, you don't roll a D 20, you roll percentile dice and all everything's percentile based. And it was like, so we can do so many different things with this. And then from there, Oh, and villains, vigilante, super world. That was also in that box set. Um, so from there, I just started playing a zillion sorts of games. And then, you know, then it was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and other strangeness, Robotech, Riffs, um, Cyberpunk, um, there's Talos Lanta, DC Heroes, Dark Conspiracy, and it just kept going. And, um, and then from there, you know, you start making your own games. And um, that's how that one started. Actually, yeah, my first game was made because I wanted to do a comic book. And okay. trying to do the comic book, I, this was like in the late 90s when everyone was doing everything on the internet. So I hooked up with this startup who wanted to do multimedia stuff. So role-playing games, books, everything. So I pitched them the comic book and they're like, okay, do you have anything else to go with the comic book? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I got a role-playing game. And they're like, okay, give us that too. So I wrote the role-playing game based on the comic, which was God's an Agenda. And then the company goes under. <laughs> because that's what happened with a lot of companies in the uh, late 90s is that everyone had big ideas and lots of money, but mm -hmm. not a lot of follow through. So that's gotcha. what I decided. I decided well, I'm just going to publish it myself and figured out how to do publishing. Okay. Yeah. Is that game, if you know, is that Hellas? Yeah. What you yeah. see back here? Is it no, I was looking, I remember on your website because you kind of said something about a superhero game and I was you've got some there's it's really i was like what is this game where it looks like like that is sparta hell. and troy as like 
superheroes. So yes, well, that is the thing, though. All my games are veiled superhero games, whether people realize them or not. Yeah. Um, so yes, there is God's Agenda, which was my first game, which we're redoing right now. That's what I'm working on currently. There, uh, after we did that, we uh, and God's Agenda is basically a postmodern mythology game. So um, you're playing a superhuman postmodern mythology. Um, if gods walked the earth today, they would be considered superheroes. So we just reverse engineer all those tropes and do a game on that. That's not a superhero game, which is weird. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I actually wanted to ask you about that because, um, which we'll get into the Terra Oblivion system is mm -hmm. yeah. it's built on this mythic D6 thing. Yes. But in the mythic D6 quick start rules that you have, you actually make a statement and it says that you believe basically that role playing games boil down to superheroes packaged in different outfits and settings. Yeah. So, can you explain, like, what do you mean by superheroes are just packaged differently? And that's role-playing games. Yes, it is. Um, or at least that's the way I believe it. And what I believe is usually true. So um, basically my manifesto in the front, uh, the beginning of that book is that all of these different genres are essentially superheroes. Um, you know, Doc Savage is a superhero. Snake Plissken is a superhero. Um, uh, one, of, one of the examples I always use is if, you, as a character, if it's okay for your character to run into a building where people are shooting machine guns at you, you are a superhero, yes. you know? Um, so you might say, no, my character's a really gritty cyberpunk character. It's like, well, you know, can you fall, you know, can you fall out of a building while shooting a machine gun, land on the back, you know, on the top of a car while people are shooting machine guns at you, get up, you know, take out all the bad guys and save the day. And it's like, well, yeah. And it's like, then you're a superhero. You know, no matter, and, and the thing is, is that you can put a different veneer on it, but you're still a superhero. And a lot of people think of that as your, your standard four colored comic book tropes, but no. I mean, if you look at, if I told you the story of like a Theseus or Perseus, um, and, but didn't tell you it was Perseus, you know, that, you know, this guy had to go save this lady, um, but to do so, he had these like, uh, these uh, people who had like these superpowers come help him. It would sound like a superhero story, but then I go, no, that's the story of Perseus. And you're like, oh, he's a superhero, you know? Yeah. And um, they're all superheroes. I mean, um, look at uh, Jack Burton and uh, Big Trouble in Little China. He is a superhero. I mean, he does a lot of superheroic stuff. In fact, toward the end of the movie, it gets incredibly gonzo and everyone's doing, there's lightning bolts and people jumping around. Um, if, you, if you gave everyone a cape, they would say that's a superhero movie. Um, yeah, so I think, it's so appealing. Superheroes, they just, they, they're moving the story forward. They're being pivotal. They're to yeah. the center point of action. It's they are. And it's, and it's modern myth making. I mean, when you look at your standard, let's say your fantasy role playing game, whatever it is, if it's D&D, if it's Pathfinder, 13th Age, RuneQuest, you are playing someone um, who is larger than life, someone who can do things that ordinary people can't do who have uh, extraordinary like worldviews and the will to actually make those changes. Um, you are a superhero. I mean, um, I mean, you, I'm assuming you've played role-playing games and how many times has something happened a in a game? Yeah. You know, you've dabbled, but how many times has something happened in those games that if this was a realistic, you know, cause a lot of people purport, you know, this is a realistic and gritty game, but then they will have the most ridiculous rules that are so superhero-y but they're not self-aware. They're completely tone deaf about what they're doing. But if we distill it all down and say, 
this is what we're doing, but we're going to color it differently. That's okay. But a lot of people, they like to position themselves as not like vampire, totally a superhero game. And if you took away the superpowers in that game, I can guarantee you the game would have a much different tone and tenor to it than it does, you know, but you know, you've got, you know, uh, what is it? Alacrity, you have potence, you have the ability to see uh, through illusions and, you know, do all this, you know, just superhero stuff. Um, so yes, it's all superheroes. I, I think it's also interesting too, because I think if you approach it, with the standpoint that, hey, we're playing a superhero game, but it may be a reskin. We all know what a superhero does. We know the, we know the story beat. Right. I, I just think that, I think it's really something that I'm just going to bring to my table and just kind of remind my players, hey, you guys are larger yeah. than life. Just you, remember that. Yeah, so. you are where the fiction starts and stops. There's, um, and a lot of people, I think, in some games, there's very few games I can think of that don't tick all the boxes that, you know, in my little manifesto, uh, I put in there, but most of them do. Most of them, you are, even if you don't have heat vision, you are a superhero. I think that's a perfect, like, jumping in point to actually Terra Oblivion. Yes. Because if you read your, you, first off, everybody should go to the Kickstarter page and look at Terra Oblivion because the art just invokes superhero to me the <laughs> even though it's it's it doesn't look like it but it's i was getting really strong like some wild storm vibes from it and just right. it's so but what is like what is terra oblivion and how does it fit into this kind of worldview and philosophy that you have about role-playing games okay um terra oblivion um let's see actually i should go and just read it's the uh what is it the pre-apocalyptic game of echo espionage Set on a world slowly being killed by humanity's need to consume. That is its big, long elevator pitch. And that's pretty much it. So in Terra Oblivion, uh, first off, the artwork from Terra Oblivion is all owed to Steven Sanders. He did, um, he did this book called Symbiosis, which was going to be an art book um, of just art that you could just buy. So, um, and he released it all as Creative Commons. So anyone can use this. You could make your own game and call it whatever you wanted. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, we had Mythic D6, which is our uh, D6 system that we were using. And so we came up with all these different game worlds, and one of them was Terra Oblivion. Um, and Terra Oblivion was going to be a post-apocalyptic game at first, but what I wanted to do later on was what if we did one that was pre-apocalyptic? Because everyone you know, plays in the world like, oh, the world went terrible, and you know, now we have to pick up the pieces, but what about the people leading up to that apocalypse? Like, hey, the world is getting really bad. We should do something about it. And uh, that's what Terra Oblivion is about. So it's set in the far future after this generation ship makes it to another planet and the world is pristine, the world is beautiful. Um, we get there, we find this new power source, um, and we just start using it. We start exploiting it. And that power source in the game is called Prana Energy. And what prana is, it's the life force, literally, of the planet. So everything now is run on this prana energy, but it's slowly killing the planet because we're not giving back. And as a hero, you and your group realize this, and you guys set out to change the world. And that is what uh, Terror of Living is about, is basically stopping an apocalypse you can see coming on that, you know, in your past, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago on Earth happened but you can see it replaying here on this planet and you want to stop it. 
um, we can live on this planet and uh, coexist in a, in a symbiotic uh, relationship, or we can just strip mine it, use it up, and all die on it. So that is my yeah. uh, social justice warrior uh, role-playing game. So if you're not interested in social uh, justice or any type of like uh, political stint in your game, this is the game for you because I hope you buy it and then are disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you when you start talking about something as far as like humanity and the ecology and trying to save the world, it's it's got to be like it absolutely needs there's a there's a political statement behind it um yes. absolutely abs no and it, and it um and that's what you know we kind of wanted to do now do i have all the tools to do it no because i'm basically a dullard uh i <laughs> on a scale of one to ten i might be at a four uh, with my awareness of many different things you know like probably in my house right now i've got like eight fans going we're burning a piece of coal in the other room i'm turning like raw oil in this room uh we're pumping some uh, ozone, um, you know, and that's just for fun. And, um, but what I wanted to do is make a game. And what I try to do with all my games is make a game where you as the hero get to make an active choice, and change your world. And um, all of the games that I've made so far have tried to do that with varying degrees of success um, because sometimes I just don't have the tools. And as I evolve, I get more tools in the toolbox, but you know, just like when you first started playing role-playing games, you know, you, you played it one way, but then once you evolved, you're like, okay, we can do so much more with this. Just like, you know, with any type of creative endeavor. Um, you know, when you read comic books or read any type of like a media or experience any type of media, there's your pop media. And then there's the pop media that's really good that actually gives you something to actually chew on later on. Um, yeah. And that's what I always appreciate. Like when I'm watching a movie or something, I'm like, oh, they're telling this story, um, but they're veiling it some other way. Um, like, you know, how many times have you seen like, you know, Romeo and Juliet retold, but it's a sci-fi version or this, or the story of Beowulf or, you know, just a story that they've told, but they've just completely reskinned it. So you're watching it, you're being entertained and then you're like, oh no, I learned something along the way. Um, yeah. You know, I just saw one about Moby Dick and it was a sci-fi Moby Dick movie and it was actually really good. And then halfway through, you're like, oh, I'm watching Moby Dick. Okay, that's cool. And then you start seeing like the similarities and stuff. So. Yeah, so speaking of similarities, um, the if you go Terra Oblivion, reading through the fiction, seeing the art that you have, it's this, you, it's pre-apocalyptic and it definitely is, it's futuristic, but it has that real pulpy, kind of vibe to it not necessarily steampunk because it's not but you know people with people with goggles flying ships and then under the influences you say you mentioned stuff like the rocketeer and mm, the Indi yes. indiana jones so what kind of other than those like what inspires the world what kind of world is terra oblivion from an aesthetic point of view terra oblivion um well the uh the basic like core that you know inspired it basically we wanted high flying action we wanted uh the backdrop to be set um something like with uh, indiana jones where indiana jones goes on these all these adventures but always in the background there's uh you know the the ominous cloud of world war ii coming you know yeah. so there are nazis there but it's not world war ii yet but there there are nazis um you know we still see that fascism is bad Indiana Jones is uh, running around and uh, stealing um, 
uh, uh, culturally significant stuff from people, which is a whole other story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but nonetheless, he's in this world that anything can happen. And it's sitting on this precipice where like it could go either way and things can be incredibly good or things can be incredibly bad. So in Terra Blibbon, there's a war between the new city states that, um, that have colonized this world. It's come to a head where, you know, we can't just coexist on this planet anymore because these guys want this thing and these guys want this thing and people are annexing uh, uh, pieces of land. And that's where it's set. It, there's so many uh, powder cakes that could be lit. Um, while that is happening, there are these people who have uh, realized that prana energy is actually the life force of this planet. And that, you know, by living here for a few hundred years, we've actually acclimated to the planet and become part of the planet. Therefore, strip mining the planet, you will eventually be strip mining yourself. You'll be killing yourself eventually because we're the active force of this planet that's being consumed and not being replenished. So you have that. Um, the Rocketeer, um, especially the comic in both just um, just a hope. There was a, a, a hope there that, you know, even though there are these terrible things, there are heroes there that can, you know, just common people, if they, if they do the right thing, they can make things better. Um, Casablanca was also uh, uh, cited as, a, yes. as a, uh, um, an inspiration because there are, you know, forces at work on both sides you're kind of in the middle and you have to play both sides to kind of get your agenda across. And um, so a, a lot of these factors went into making it. It's not a gritty doom game like, oh, we're all going to die. Terra Blibbon yeah. coming and we're all going to die. It's like, no, it, 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 can, uh, it can go that way. However, you have the power to like make these things change. You can actually, you can make the world better. I mean, uh, it's... Um, it's it's all in your hands, um, and, and yeah. that's what it's about, as opposed to because I like you know grim dark games, uh, and I own quite a few of them, but sometimes, man, you just get bummed out, just you know, just yeah, just I get it. I at the RBG Academy, our like motto that we live by is if you're having fun, you're doing it right. And yes, there's a lot of different games, and you can play games a lot of different ways. And just like you, I do like to, you know, get down and deep and depressed sometimes and play some really, really dark game. But at the end of the day, I typically, like yourself, I like to be the games with hope and where you're the good guy and yeah. stop some bad people. Yeah, and some, sometimes it's cathartic. I mean, yes. you know, uh, you want to, there are things that might be bugging you in real life, but you know, you might not have the tools or the ability to actually fix it right now. Not to say you can never fix it, but sometimes you just want to sit and go, okay, um, let's, you know, go do this thing in this game and make the world better. I, you know, I, and uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Actually, I pulled up some of the art. Let's see, can I share my screen? Yeah. Yep, so that's a picture of Stephen uh, S. Sanders, his artwork. Um, it's really evocative and it kind of fits that, you know, pre-World War II, you know, kind of aesthetic. Um, yeah. You know. I, I, I love it. Like it's so, it's so, it's very bright and it just, yes. it pops. It really just, it pops and it makes you want to just be in that world. Yep, absolutely. And that's what, you know, inspired me to kind of want to do this thing was that this artwork I mean, just artwork alone, I could make uh, a garbage game and the uh, the artwork would actually, you know, 
move this thing along. Um, yeah, but it is. It's it's fantastic. The the amount of artwork that was done that you know I get to share with people now that is uh, really awesome. And with uh, Karen Turley and uh, Mike Fiegel, um, two of the uh, writers on this thing, we've managed to you know make something that is just you know fantastic. Um, so there you go. That was a uh, Terra Bovian, and it uses the Mythic D6 system, which is a D6 dice pool system. So if you're familiar with um, Western Games D6, where you you know stat uh, dice plus skill dice, you roll them. However, with Mythic D6, you don't uh, sum up the dice; you count successes. So you know if you roll seven dice, um, potentially you can get seven successes on the dice. You have a wild die which can explode. Um, and I love exploding. I love exploding dice. Yes, I, I, I like them too. I like, I like to be able to see what happens because the dice allow me to take a different avenue. Uh, a lot of people, they, they like to control the dice or control. I just like, like when, for instance, when we played, um, last time we played D&D, I like to just roll my character. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to allocate points. I just want to roll down the line. And then at the end, look and go, oh, uh, I guess I'm playing a thief because uh, that's yeah. all I have. To, or rolling life paths where they go, you know, you can choose from the life path to roll it. I'm like, screw that. I'm rolling. You know, I'm getting ready to get uh, the weirdest character I can get out of this, um, which was actually what happened. And um, we played a game called uh, Masters of Umdar, which is a fate game. It's kind of like a He-Man game, but you can yeah. roll your character's mutations and weirdness. And I ended up with this locust bug bear it was a bear with locust traits and i was like this is crazy and that was a uh, the hell's the name of the character baron blackcloth was that his name <laughs> that sounds fitting for a locust bear yes and, you know he kind of you know dressed in his little napoleon clothes and uh ran around undar shooting his laser staff but <laughs> the yeah i wanted i really just exploding dice to me it's just it's something, it just adds to the experience at the table. The, yes, the experience is role-playing with your friends, creating a story, but we all like rolling dice and there's something cathartic about, you see it, come that value come up and you're like, the dice explode and you get to roll them exactly. again. And then more explosions, oh, if you're lucky well, enough. Well, yeah, it's even better when you need it to happen. Like when you're yeah. just like, please just let this happen. And then it happens and then... It's almost like you hear, uh, you know, the the music of Ode to Joy and there's fireworks in the background. And it's like, you know, it's like the whole world is cheering for you. And for that moment, you know, you are the one. You you become Neo, like when those yeah. dice explode. You're dodging bullets and doing all sorts of awesome stuff. And that's what I really appreciate about, um, especially those types of systems that allow me to explode because it also helps if there seems to be something that's insurmountable in the game. Mm-hmm. And you have a chance to roll dice. That means you have a chance to make the magic happen. Um, like uh, one of my top three favorite games in the whole world, DC Heroes, uh, by Mayfair Games, uh, you know, made back in the 80s. Um, and, you know, the last version of it came out in the 90s. Um, but in that game, you could have Jimmy Olsen, if the dice exploded uh, well, you could punch Darkseid in the face. And Darkseid would actually feel <laughs> You know, there's, I mean, the chances of it happening are, you know, astronomical, but there is that chance, you know, and yeah. uh, that's what I appreciate. 
good luck with those omega beams yeah, outside. Exactly. Here's a punch <laughs> to the face. <laughs> no, exactly. uh, that's, that's, see, that's, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so the, with the, with the mythic D6 system and also Terra Oblivion, I was reading through the, the rules that you have available and is Terra Oblivion, are there character classes? How does, how do characters work within mm. the system? Um, characters, you get sort of a class. Um, okay. You, um, they're basically called professions, but they're classes. Uh, a lot of games like to, again, reskin things and say that there's no classes, but there's classes. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, but um, so you, you pick one of those, but that doesn't necessarily because it's a point uh, by system. It's just that the class will give you a little something extra for that particular type of character. So let's say, for instance, if we distilled it all down to your fighter cleric magic user thing, um, in Terra Oblivion, you've got a spy, a soldier, uh, a console. Um, uh, who else? Gosh, I could actually just open up the game and, and uh, look at it, uh, what we have here. Uh, look, I got it open right here. It looks oh. like you also got the academic, and then I, I don't think you said the handler either. Yes, the handler, who is basically a mechanic. Uh, okay. And because all the uh, vehicles here are bioorganic, because they're these uh, whale or fluke, these worm life forms on the planet. So you build um, a vehicle, and it has this creature in it. So you know, it's not necessarily your, you know, your doing screwdriver stuff or wrenches, you're handling a creature that runs your vehicle. Um, in fact, it runs your planet. Um, you know, like your city is um, built around one of these giant um, monarch flukes and your city just floats in the air uh, on these monarch flukes. Um, but yeah, instead of having um, your traditional ones, we decided to go with, you know, like let's say for instance, it's pre-World War II. You're not a soldier because, um, you know, everyone's not going to play a soldier. But what are you guys doing in your eco-espionage? You don't need just soldiers. You need actual academics. You need, you know, counselors. You need, um, you know, mechanics and spies to do these things. And it's kind of a really interesting dynamic when you play it because not everyone is geared toward, you know, business as usual, meat and potatoes. Let's go, you know, kill something. It's like, well... I'm an academic. Let's figure out how to do this with brain power or, you know, let's, you know, use our tacanery and, 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 you know, do it with our spy powers and stuff like that. And if you'll notice, everyone has an advantage in the game and it's, um, in Mythic D6, you make your advantages. So let's say, for instance, you wanted an advantage, um, you know, uh, you would just make it up. And so for instance, here, like the thief, she has info thief. So let's say, for instance, you're doing an investigation, and I say, roll your investigation plus your perception to find a piece of information. Oh, no, I failed. You could use your empathy to actually add successes to it or just to roll again. Um, and you define it as how you want to define it in the game. So instead of having a huge list of uh, advantages that help in you know, various different situations, you just make up what your, dis or your advantage is, and you, you, know, you place that on the character. Um, just the same with disadvantages. You make up your disadvantages, um, but they have to fit three different categories. Uh, a personal disadvantage, an internal disadvantage, and an external disadvantage. Um, the external disadvantage is something about you externally that people can see or experience. So an external disadvantage might be, um, you know, very tall. So that it might not always come up, but you being very tall is noticeable. An internal disadvantage might be, 
you can't let things go. So something might come up and your internal disadvantage might kick in and there might be a wrong someplace and you're like, nope, can't let that go. I've got to address that right now, which could be a disadvantage. And then you've got a personal or relationship disadvantage, which is something about another person. So it could be another player. It could be your Aunt May. It could be, you know, an enemy or, you know, a good friend. But that person, if something happens uh, pertaining to that person, it affects you and, you know, some kind of negative way. Um, and yeah. I think, yeah, um, I'm not sure. Yes, I did release the sample uh, character so that you could actually see what a sample character is in one of the blog posts on the website. Um, I'll probably link it in there to the uh, actual game itself and put it in. Actually, I think I did. I can't remember. Yeah, okay. But one of the things, too, that I wanted to, the, it, I feel like that, that gives you as a, you're making your character so much creative control and you're contributing to the world. So yes. I think that's super cool. The, one of the other things that like you kind of mentioned it and alluded to it, but the, the prana powers. Mm. And the, the reason that I wanted to bring those up because you have these things called Gnostic talents, yes. which have these underneath of them, these subsets, which are something that I really have never seen before in a RPG, which you have these things, you have certain powers or traits that are, it's stuff like humility and equality and yes. self-respect and charity. So how do are the how do the gnostic talents work and how how do you use some of these what we would consider these positive character traits at the table then well um in mythic d6 in the, the core book um there's a system for like superpowers that you can use to build any type of character well not any type but a lot of different types uh yeah i, I shouldn't sell it like you could do anything with this game <laughs> but, uh, but so um so like when you look at all the Gnostic talents, they're all just essentially powers that you could have. So if we were playing a superhero game, you would have ESP. Uh, but in this game, it's under the, um, the intuition uh, uh, prana, that you know, uh, Gnostic talent that you could have. Um, and what I wanted to do in this game is uh, in other games, everything is combat related. But in Terror Oblivion, Oblivion I wanted it to be more passive so that you're listening more to the world as opposed to enforcing your viewpoint on the world. So all the powers are things that allow you to make positive change in the world. So with the humility uh, powers or uh, talents, powers, um, you have luck, uh, paralyzed or sustenance. Um, with luck, you can basically change your dice rolls or the dice rolls of others in the game. So, um, you know, if you don't like the way the GM rolled, you could tell him to roll again with your luck power. Uh, paralyzed as opposed to like shooting a heat vision at someone and boring a hole in their chest, you can just stop them from doing something. Sustenance allows you to feed people or to actually, sustenance allows you to be fed by the planet itself. You're just basically soaking up, you know, the prana energy of the planet and feeding yourself. Um, um, and the different powers are like that. So as a hero, as a player, you know, you can buy one of these uh, talents and it'll give you like a little suite of powers, but it will also give you kind of a mindset like uh, the uh, empathy, like uh, uh, talent, you know, oneness with everything, universal compassion. So you can talk to the uh, beasts of the planet. You have an, an awareness of like, you know, the universe around you and you have empathy towards others. Um, and uh, it's a lot different from like some of the other games that we've made um, where it's, you know, focused on, okay, how's this power going to help me in combat? All these powers actually help you in the other parts of the, you know, the not combat parts of the game. Where, okay. 
and some of it for, you know, combat, I guess, you know, you can use some of the powers like, you know, charity where you can enhance other people's abilities. I guess you could use that one and, and so on. Yeah. But the cool part is, is in the game, once you have enough of these talents, you can do this thing called symbiosis where you become part of the planet. And um, so let's say, for instance, you collect them all. You've got humility, equality, self-respect, charity, honesty, wisdom, and empathy. Uh, you know, like a Captain Planet thing or something. But I was once just thinking those, that. Yes. <laughs> but once you have all of that, you, you attain symbiosis and apotheosis where you become aware of the planet. And um, you're able to do other things like basically travel the planet by basically, you know, discorporating yourself and, you know, being reborn in another part of the world. You know, you can sense things about the planet. You can sense things about the people on the planet. Um, so it's a way of like, you know, basically making a game where you become part of your, your planet, become aware and self-aware of, uh, you know, the people around you and, you know, kind of motivate you to want to do better. Cause we could have easily named these things stuff like, you know, you know, kill sword, cool smash and things like that. But it would have given you a completely different connotation of what the characters are meant to be doing. So, you know, we need a little bit more empathy and humility in our games yes absolutely um so looking at it also if you have stuff like you have equipment and vehicles in this mm -hmm. you have adversaries and beasts you also it looks like have an adventure that is going to be included in this yep. as well yep. so lots of stuff but i wanted to ask you from a writer and creative point of view what do you think what was one of the what was one of your favorite things that you got to create for terra oblivion Gosh, the favorite thing that you just the the, the words were just like flowing <laughs> out of that, your mind that tickled me the most. Yes. Um, just coming up with how like the world, you know, just the way the world is, you are part of the world. We're, we're not set apart from the world. We are the world and trying to explain that. And then because, you know, things are so like socially charged on planet Earth. And that things have just terrible connotations like, oh, I don't, you're trying to tell me how to live my life and play my, you know, blah, blah, blah. That it's, you know, it, it kind of felt good and cathartic to say, hey, I honestly feel this way that we should actually be, try to be good to one another. And <laughs> it's like, we can actually, we can change these things, you know, if, if, if we have the will to. And that's kind of what we wanted to do here. And, you know, and then, you know, it comes down to the mechanics of how do we do that? And then yeah. uh, that's where like all the prana powers come from. Um, and just being inspired by like the artwork here, you know, you, you've got this like really um, luscious artwork to use. So it's like, okay, what does this mean in the game? You know, um, so maybe, mm, gosh, there's so many pieces. Of this. I know that's a tough, that's a tough question. Yeah, it is, but no, but you know, it's a valid question. Uh, and in some games, I can answer a little bit easier. But in this one, maybe it's the, the Yakshas who are people who have died on the planet. And then, you know, when the colonists first got here, you know, people would die. And then they would just um, reanimate because the prana of the planet would reanimate them. And, you know, that's how, you know, people realize like, oh, we're actually part of the planet now because the planet's like, you know, basically repurposing our, our dead and you know these these sentient sapient beings that have their own agendas and stuff on the planet as opposed to just oh we're colonists on the planet and we've got to fight off all the 
nasty stuff on the planet. It's like, you know, the colonists are kind of the nasty stuff on the planet. <laughs> as, as they, as they usually are. So the, uh, so talking about um, the Kickstarter then, mm. uh, what, explain to us then what, what, what are you trying to, what are you trying to accomplish then with the Terra Oblivion Kickstarter? And then what can people expect to, to get when they support you here? Mm, well, usually when I run a Kickstarter and I've run, I think now it's 14 or 15 different Kickstarters. I was an early adopter of uh, begging for free money. <laughs> but with that, um, basically you're paying for printing. I try with my Kickstarters and all of the ones that I've done, I've tried to always provide, I guess, a comfort and a safety and backing me. Cause that's really what you're doing when you're backing one of my Kickstarters is you're basically leaving me enough to give me money to actually produce something. And that's the one thing that I really appreciate. And it's, it's, it's really kind of gratifying to know that someone believes in something you're doing enough to actually fork over some money, you know, to someone just on the internet. And I mean, the only people I do that with are Nigerian princes, but other people, they manage to like, you know, just give you money in the hopes that they're getting something. And so I always try to like uh, deliver. So anytime I do a Kickstarter, the game is pretty much done. I never give you a Kickstarter of something that I'm thinking about doing. Like, hey, uh, wouldn't it be cool if we, if we did this one game and I've got these really cool new rules and um, the game will be done in like the next four years. To me, that's not fair, you know, because you, you've given me money now for something in the future. And it, you know, it works. You know, a lot of people do it that way. But me personally, I would rather go, here is what I'm giving you. This is the proof of concept because it's essentially done. It might not be completely done like Terra Oblivion. Essentially, Terra Oblivion, once the Kickstarter is over, I send these files to the printer and the book goes to press. Um, but that's what I'm doing. I'm, it's, it's kind of gratifying. And uh, with this Kickstarter in particular, every week I give away a free adventure. So if you back the game, uh, you know, and I'm working on the one for uh, this week, so for four weeks, you're going to get four uh, mini adventures to use with the game um, so that you're actually getting something because there's really not a lot of updates because the game is done. I mean, you know, I've shown you the game um, and it's, it's already been funded. So, you know, what I would suggest to anyone out there interested, you know, get involved um, and, you know, get the book and get the uh, free adventures uh, that, uh, you know, we've written uh, to give away every week. Um, you know, the artwork's fantastic. Um, I've decided to go back in and relay out a few pages just so I can add even more of the artwork because there's just, you know, uh, a, a cornucopia of, you know, great art um, available for this thing. So I wanted to put more of that in there. Um, and who knows? I mean, if we go ridiculously over, um, you know, maybe I'll add more pages and then have to add more content to it. But get get all the content. Yeah. There's, it's just, there's so much, you know, stuff uh, uh, for this thing. And, um, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's awesome. I really hope that people can go uh, definitely go check it out listeners. But Jerry, before we really finish things up here, is there anything else that you want to let our listeners know about yourself or about Terra Oblivion or, or anything else that's just come to mind right now that you feel like, Tom needs to know this and his listeners need to know this. Well, uh, we're working on other games. Terra Oblivion works with Mythic D6. There is uh, the new Godson Agenda that we're working on, which will be the game that um, 
we're going to go hard on producing after this game. And that, again, is the uh, postmodern mythology game. Um, basically, it's, a, it's not a superhero game. It's a superheroic game. Because uh, I don't think I've made an actual superhero game. Uh, an actual, actual, you know, four-color superhero games. Most of my games are super heroic um, without, you know, bank robbers and, you know, stuff like that. They're, the, the scope is a, a little bit different, but there's Gods and Agenda, which you can check out at the, the website. And I talk about it online. Um, I'm always on Twitter or, uh, you know, RPG.net, places like that where, you know, someone will invoke me and I'll come in and start sharing stuff. Um, there's Atlantis, um, the first age. We uh, published a game called Atlantis, the second age. And Atlantis, the first age, is a game we're doing which actually probably comes really close to being a superhero game. It's basically a fantasy superheroic game. So just imagine a sword and sorcery game where um, people have the ability to move mountains. And that okay. be, uh, Atlantis, the first stage. And again, you can see that if you go through any of the blog posts, you'll see uh, information for that one, um, character sheets and stuff that we're working on with that one. Um, just a lot of stuff that, you know, I kind of want to do. But, you know, we could actually talk about, like, you know, your stuff. Like, I'm looking at, you know, your stuff and in the background. I see, you know, you've got your Superman versus Batman stuff. All of my, I got all my Star Wars stuff right here. Yes, you know, I, see I got it. my Superman versus Batman stuff. All of my Star Wars books that are not canon anymore. Yes, <laughs> all laid out here. Um, absolutely, absolutely. I, I feel like I, I have. I'm speaking to a kindred spirit yeah. right now. You've got all so, the stuff. I mean, I see. I like, what this, is that? Is that Nightwing back there? I got. I have my. Yes, I got my Nightwing, and I have my Red Hood. Um, I have my red, my Red Hood. Um, action figure all all right. ready to go i've got my batman samurai did you did you uh so you, i'm assuming you saw the anime it's uh, so good it's right. so good <laughs> i love it so much it's just it's oh before since since we're, we're chatting about this this stuff i will show you mm. i also dabbled into some dabbled into cosplay okay and i did my i did my my jason todd ah um, so wow, that's you know, really good <laughs> yeah, so you know my, what <laughs> and, 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 and this whole thing, this whole like lockdown killed it because I was putting together, I don't even want to discuss what it is. I just want to show it, this, this cosplay outfit that I put together because convention seasons were starting. So in January, you know, I'm uh, putting stuff in my favorites on uh, Amazon. I'm like, okay, I need to buy that belt. I need to buy those boots. Okay, because, you know, the summer's coming, comic convention season. And then it's like, well, I guess I'm not going to buy any of it right now because... Uh, I just kind of sat here and got fat and, uh, <laughs> you yeah, know, hey, hey. All, hey, all that hard work just kind of went away. And I was like, yes, it's going to happen this year. And then it was like, wonk, wonk. Oh, yes. So I guess I can hear, I can hear my, my child is crying. Mm. He's ready to occupy my office for his right. nap. So we are going to close it off there. Jerry, last thing, where can people follow you on Twitter? Um, I'm at Capera public or Capera underscore RPG on Twitter. Caparapublishing.com is the website. Uh, you can see uh, Capera Publishing on Facebook or, you know, just look me up on Facebook. I'm there as well. Um, okay. And just anywhere that, you know, you buy role-playing games is where you can buy mine. And if you can't, you should ask them why not. Because, yes. uh, you know, the, you need uh, a lot more of my uh, garbage in your bookshelf. That's all. 
Absolutely. And you have a lot of it. And so definitely we will put all those links in our show notes and listeners. Jerry's not joking. He, he mentioned he's got so much stuff. You didn't even talk about the Afrofuturism stuff that you've, you've yes, got. Yes, Arun. Yes, that's with uh, Eloy Lasanta and Misha uh, Um That one is, uh, that one, that's our, that one is really big. And I'm actually laying that one out right now. Arun is basically a, that one's our post-apotheosis uh, space opera game set after everyone you know has their apotheosis and turns into energy beings what happens oh to my people? word yeah what happens Incredible. to the people who are left behind it's like this is what happens you know <laughs> <laughs> awesome well we're gonna leave it there um uh, make sure jerry make sure you hit us up when that when you get closer to that um yes. and also um listeners you know um don't forget if you're having fun you are doing it right Absolutely. thank you thank you Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize, but there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.